Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Well, hi. My name is Allie, and I like to stand on top of tall things. Well, not every tall thing. I mean, I'm not a very big fan of ladders, um, but I am a very big fan of mountains. I love driving through places like northern New Hampshire and Maine and Colorado and trying to figure out what mountains I'm looking at and dreaming of standing on top of them because I'm fascinated by the new perspective I get up there, by looking down from above. I get this whole new understanding of the area, how different things and places relate to each other, the relativity of distance, and my small place in the grand scheme of things. And during our Advent sermon series, we're actually kind of doing the same thing. Imagine that we are on top of the mountain, and looking down, we can see the whole big story of Scripture playing out below us. From this perspective, we can see from beginning to end and everything in between. We see how each part of the Bible relates to each other, not telling a collection of short individual stories, but one story with one long arc. That's why we have this very cool storybook hanging from our ceiling in the sanctuary, because the Bible is an epic with a resounding theme of who God is and what God is up to. And last week, Pastor Ben unpacked for us chapter one of this epic, the Garden of Eden. That's why there are leaves emerging from our story. In the Garden of Eden, we discover that one of God's original intents was that humanity would be with each other and for each other and that God would be close to them the people of God dwelling in the place of God with the full and loving presence of God. But as people who have read the whole story so far, we know that Adam and Eve chose to do things their own way, apart from God. So in the Garden of Eden, the reality of God's presence with all people was shattered. But Eden is the very beginning of our story, not the end, and that's because God still wanted more than anything to be with humanity. So the whole rest of our Bibles is God at work to redeem humanity's choice and to make his presence with us a reality once again. And we see that plan start to take shape in chapter two, God's promise to Abram, who would later be called Abraham. That's what we'll dive into today. But let's pray before we begin. God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts bring glory to you. Speak, Lord, we are your beloved children and we are listening. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. So in Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, Leave your land, your family, and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you 
and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. I always marvel at those people who think it's fun to just go for a drive with no particular destination in mind. Notice that God didn't tell Abram where to go, just to the land that I will show you. Pack everything up, Abram, and start walking somewhere else. Now, one of the questions I have when I come to this story is why did God choose Abram? What was so special about Abram that God would make him this promise that we'll come to see is really important? Well, our Bibles and information from ancient Jewish literature paint us a picture of Abram's life. And we see that there really wasn't anything special about Abram, except for his desire and willingness to follow God's leading no matter what the cost. Now, his desire did not always match his actions. He was not a perfect person with superhuman faith. And yet, it was through Abram's trust in God, despite the distinct lack of details, that God continued the story, the plan. Now, God actually repeats the blessing to Abram three times in the book of Genesis. And each time, we get a little more information about what the blessing actually was. In Genesis 15, Abram asks God, Sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I remain childless and the one who will inherit my household is Eliezer of Damascus? You have given me no children, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So the very first part of the promise God makes is about people. God would give Abram as many descendants as stars in the sky. Now, when we look up into our night sky because of light pollution and our human eyesight, we really don't see that many stars, maybe a few. But this is a picture of the night sky over the Negev Desert where Abram would have been traveling at the time. It may be a modern view, but thanks to technology, we can certainly see a lot more stars. And if that doesn't do it for you, many astronomers will tell you that there are 10,000 stars for every grain of sand on Earth. To an aging man with a wife who had so far been unable to have kids, a promise this large and this abundant seemed laughable. Now, the second part of the promise to Abram was about place. When God repeats the promise to Abram again in Genesis 17, he says, 
the whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Now, Canaan was one of the prime pieces of real estate in the ancient world, and it was already occupied by some of the heavy hitters of the day. So to a man leading a small nomadic group of people who lived in tents, this promise seemed impossible or even absurd. But the third part of the promise helps the rest make sense. We discovered that the promise was not primarily about material wealth, land, or comfort. In Genesis 15, God says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. The promise of land and descendants were the means to a beautiful end. The people of God in the place of God with the presence of God. The promise that God makes to Abram is ultimately about God's desire to be with his people, close to his people, restoring the original intent of the Garden of Eden. But all this blessing, massive and abundant as it was, was not just for Abram and his descendants to enjoy, to keep for themselves. It was a blessing with tremendous purpose. I will bless you so that all families on earth will be blessed through you. They were blessed to be a blessing. The promise to Abram in Genesis 12 is one of the first texts in our Bibles announcing God's mission and humanity's role in it. God's mission was and is to extend the promise of his presence, of his love to all people on earth, beginning with and through Abram's family. As God's people experienced the blessing of God's love and presence, it was meant to overflow and spill over to all those they came in contact with until the whole earth experienced the blessing of God's presence. From the very beginning, the love and presence of God was meant for all people, the whole earth, not only an elect few in a set-apart place. The small beginnings of the mission with Abram's family was just a glimpse of the future gospel that Jesus Christ would bring. Because of Jesus, the church, capital C, would become the great nation through which the blessing of God's presence would extend to the whole world. Galatians chapter three says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham or Abram. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. 
So no longer would the blessing to and the blessing through belong to just a small Jewish family or a specific nation, but to and through all followers of Jesus everywhere. The great commission that Jesus later gave to his disciples echoes the same mission of God declared in Genesis 12. Go and make disciples of all nations. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. The promise and the purpose given to Abram now belongs to us as well. Now Advent, the season of Advent, has a lot to do with God's promises. Because at Advent, we look forward not only to Christmas, but also to when Jesus will come again someday. Now in Revelation 7, God gives John, a disciple of Jesus, a picture of what that day will look like. John says, after this I looked, and there was a great crowd that no one can number, and they were from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne and before the lamb. They wore white robes and held palm branches in their hands and they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the lamb. And Janet and Nancy read from Hebrews 11 for us earlier where Abraham and his family are celebrated for their faith in God's promise. It says, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. They, he and his family, did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. So the promise of God's presence is the story of our Bibles from Genesis to Revelation, beginning to end. And we, like Abram and his family, are still waiting. We're confidently looking forward to the day when all people gather in the restored Garden of Eden, the new heaven and the new earth that will arrive when Jesus comes again where we will all live together in the presence of our God. God whose desire from the very beginning was to be with his creation, with us. And in the meantime, at Advent, we also celebrate the incarnation, that Jesus came to be with us. And by his character and his actions, Jesus showed us exactly what blessed to be a blessing looks like. The king of kings came as a helpless, humble baby to an obscure small village. The creator of the universe spent his time healing deep hurts, touching people society considered dirty, standing in the gap between the powerful and the oppressed, and meeting human needs for food and dignity. The Son of God demonstrated God's original desire to be with humanity by sitting with and eating with those on the outside. Jesus embodied the promise of God's 
presence. He was motivated by love to come and show us how to love. Loving others the way that Jesus did is how the blessing of God's presence will flow through us to the whole earth. Now, promises can be hard for us. In our culture, promises don't tend to carry a lot of weight. We learn pretty early that even with the very best of intentions, promises aren't or maybe can't always be kept. We also tend to think of them as transactional. If this, then that. And it's really important to notice how our human understanding of promises can color how we think and feel about God's promises. It can significantly shape our relationship with God. And just as it was for Abram, it can be hard for us to trust that God will keep his promises, especially when the weight seems to drag on and to us the circumstances just don't add up. But in Abram's culture, promises carried a lot of weight. And when God made his promise to Abram, he chose to use one of the most legally binding rituals possible in the ancient world. Promises matter to God. And as the story of Abram and his descendants unfolds, they're given instructions and expectations for their end of the covenant. But we see that God took the bulk of the commitment onto himself, resolving to fulfill his promise no matter what choices his people made. God kept his promise despite us, not because of us. God's promises cannot be earned. They are not transactional. Now the Bible is full of God's promises to us. He promises to be with us, to provide for us, to answer our prayers, just to name a few. And trusting in any of these promises is ultimately about learning to trust in God's character. The epic story of scripture reveals God's character to us, who God is and how God feels about us. From beginning to end, our Bibles show us that God can that God wants to, and that God will keep his promises now as he did then. He is a God who loves to make and keep his promises to his people because his greatest desire is to be with us. The promise given to Abram now belongs to us, the followers of Jesus, the global church. That promise, it's a beautiful reality to come. And while we wait for that future day, this promise is our hope. When the struggle of our earthly circumstances clouds our human vision and we can't see all the stars in the sky, this promise is our eternal perspective. While we wait, this promise is our invitation to, like Abram, follow God's leading one step at a time. Maybe not knowing all the details, but trusting in God's character.
And while we wait, this promise is our purpose. As we experience the abundant blessing of God's presence and love, we're called to extend that blessing to all people, loving as Jesus loved. We are blessed to be a blessing. Let's pray. God, we are in awe of you, for you have kept your promises throughout history, from generation to generation to generation. God, who are we that you would move literally heaven and earth to be with us? Father, energize our hope today in the promise of that day when all people will experience the blessing of your presence. May we learn to trust in your character, which is revealed to us over and over again. May we embrace our purpose, loving others the way your son Jesus showed us how. Amen.